Cars today are safer, more reliable, and packing more technology than ever before. But if you're looking for an appliance on wheels, this isn't your show. We want to help everyone find a car they'll really love, capable on the commute, and a laugh on your favorite road. If you take the long way home, this is for you. New cars, used cars, whatever your budget, whatever your needs, if you like to drive, we want to help. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. We are excited to have you with us, as we always are. We've got a lot to discuss for this one, and as you probably know, we post up questions on Facebook just prior to podcasting this mm -hmm. one on Monday nights. So we pretty much podcast the night before, uh, just in an effort to, you know, any news that might trickle in, you know, any events, yep. things like yep. that during the day or during the week. And uh, so we're rec recording in the evening, but uh, thanks for your Facebook questions. We're getting buried in questions. This is quite amazing. We are. It's great. To me. It's great. I am... Uh, Still kind of excited. The adrenaline is still flowing here. You can probably hear it in my voice, uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, speaking of Facebook questions, I should bring this up. I mean, we are, this is episode number 96. We don't normally call it mm. the episode, but this is episode number 96, which means we are four away from the big 100 episodes, which is always a big podcast milestone. And we've had a crazy idea. We're going to keep asking for yeah. Facebook questions. We will keep doing that before each of our, you know, we, we do a, a Tuesday and a Friday podcast now. So uh, Mondays and Thursday nights, we'll ask for uh, podcast questions. So please keep doing those. However... I'm just going to put this in your brains. When we do number 100, we're going to ask for questions that are everything but about cars. Because, you know, a lot of podcasts cover everything but cars. And right. we always kind of focus on cars. But that is one we're actually going to do only questions that don't relate to cars. So if you have those random ones, that's more of an ask me anything, I guess it is. So yeah. uh, we will do that here in a few weeks. Although we're not saying, you know, bring your legal questions because, you know, we won't be able to tell you that. Or your financial questions because we'll tell you to spend all your money on your next yeah, car. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll skip those because who are we? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Good, good point. But, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to, uh, to having a lot of fun answering questions that aren't about cars. That's going to be crazy. So start priming everything now. Think about your questions and uh, we will get to that on Podcast 100. But in the meantime, we have a car debate tonight from Brian. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian doesn't say where he's writing from, but it's clear he's a bit of a muscle car kind of a guy. He's actually kind of a Chevy and actually more of a GM guy based on his email here. But he is asking for kind of what's next. And he's driven a few things, mm -hmm. but he's asking for some advice. He's kind of warily looking at European cars, but has mainly <laughs> been driving American. He's got a 2013 Dodge Charger and loves it, but he's asking for what's next. So I'm looking forward to covering yep. some selections for him. That'll be fun. Yep. But before we do that, we should cover two things. First off, um, we should cover why you're so excited. Um, yeah, we should really cover that. The teasing is ending, folks. Uh, on Instagram, the day you're listening to this podcast on Instagram, you will see the last actual tease of what Paul's car is going to be, this time with footage. And then we will follow with an actual reveal video because that's right. Paul's excited because the car is here. It is. It is. And thanks to Brandon. He was the uh, transport driver who kindly brought the car up from Phoenix, Arizona. And mm -hmm. uh, great guy. Really loved chatting with him. And uh, 
He arrived at 9 o'clock at night at my house, and Todd kindly shot a video, which you will be watching on Facebook, of the reveal, yep. and I am excited to share this car with you guys. So go look at that when well, you get a chance. But not, on, but not only that, I must admit, I've been a bad friend because I had to all but tear you away from your new car because we had to podcast. You, you were practically jumping around and you know kept walking yeah. around and walking around. And why wouldn't you? I mean, anybody would do that with their new car. But I was like, buddy, I'm sorry. We have to go podcast. So anyway, here we are. Here we are. Uh, in fact, um, we're actually doing podcasting a little bit differently than normal because we were uh, waiting the arrival of Paul's car. So I know I will sound different than I normally do. So uh, anyway, here we are diving in. We, one bit of news I wanted to cover talking about cars that we own. A couple of people have asked us about this GT86 shooting brake wagon concept that came out this past week. And yeah. I've seen the photos. And, and you brought up the fact that Subaru <laughs> did their own version a couple of years back. Yeah, they um, did. Um, yeah. I'm glad you brought yeah, this up yeah, because yeah. you are an owner. I mean, nothing like, you know, a, a, being an owner of that particular mm -hmm car when the new model or a variation comes out. I mean, this happens with just about every car model and the next one sure, or of course. some iteration like this one. And it is the shooting brake. It's the, it's the shoe of your car. Mm -hmm. You realize that? Yeah, it's, it, yeah it's, it's the clown shoe version. And here's the thing. As car journalists, we are almost required by law to like all shooting brakes. However, <laughs> how, we, we are. I don't know why that happens, but it's true. However, I have to say, I think this is atrocious. Do you? I'm, I, act I, I just don't like it at all. Hmm. hmm. That's interesting. I, we don't talk before we podcast about, I mean, we discuss a, a few things about what we're going to talk about, but I didn't ask Todd his opinion on this car. So I'm actually interested to hear why you don't like it. And it's, is it partly because you're an owner already and you're used to the shape and you're used to, used to your car or what is it about the car you don't like? I'm curious. It's, it's the back of the CRZ or the CRX actually shoved on the back of a, of a GT86. It, it, it doesn't, the, the, the rear window, the rear glass is way too small and mostly unusable. I almost feel like the roof tapers down too far. I feel like it's almost trying to resolve and then it's got this, it does. It's kind of got like that CRZ, CRX kind of chopped hatchback look. The, it's that resolution problem. We talk about it on the Panamera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's how do you resolve the back of a wagon? And I don't think this looks right. It, it really does feel to me, I mean, it's, it's a typical thing where you can cover half the car and then cover the other half of the car, and you look at them like that, it doesn't feel like it's a coherent design to me. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, I can see that. This, the, the news article here says it was conceived by the Australian design team, also the Australians who have that, uh, the Ute, the El Camino of Holden's. Uh, you yes. know what I'm talking about. I don't oh, know yeah, the yeah. name of it yeah, offhand, but it, it, you know, the, the Malu, I think it is. The Malu, yeah. thank you. It's it's the car with the pickup truck bed. So they they come up with sports cars and then turn them into more useful kinds of cars. But mm -hmm. Americans would say, just get yourself a pickup truck. Whereas I can see, yeah, yeah the Australians can see SUV. this, and it's got more space. I mean, you could fit all of your tires now in the back of that and take it to the track. So you could switch out your tires and. Yes, that, that is the, the great fallacy. Set. When you're, you're bringing up a great point. When Toyota released this car, they said <clears> that they had created enough room for you to take your four tires and a jack to the track. Uh, right. Only if you took four Space Saver tires, because I have tried this <laughs> and it fails. So well, it's not going to happen. I was thinking of but that when would, I saw it. This would work. You're right. I was thinking of that. Right. And, and you could, you know, definitely more usable. And certainly the back seat. Now you can have tall, torsoed people, but you still have to chop their legs off at the knees to sit in the yeah, back of this car. Yeah, it wouldn't help either with leg room, yeah. So, yeah, you can fit the headroom now, but uh, I'm you know, mixed about The Subaru about it. version, 
from a couple years ago looks like the looks like the the brz all road is what it looks like you know it looks like they gave the the outback and then the audi all road treatment to a brz i it's got little fender lip flares and yeah it becomes a sports car off-road sports car kind of look i i maybe i like this better but in both folks it's a great platform what okay here's the thing why are we taking that platform and making every possible tease and variation to possibly fix on it except for the power? Is this a, is this a joke That's somewhere? That's a good point. That's a good point. And they have at this point. They have teased the, uh, you know, BRZ, you know, the iterations of that car. They've teased, you know, new body styling and all kinds of stuff with this car and avoided power to the point where it's now so obvious that the rest of us are going, well, come on. It's almost it's almost like it's some how long can we keep the joke running kind of thing. Right. How long right. can we address everything possible except for power, which is the one thing everybody wishes this car had more of? You know what we should do? A shooting break. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> and this car remains a concept, but I I kind of am warming to it, but I can't imagine this would be a good seller because people oh, don't like know it. how to classify this. It's not the sports car that we mm-hmm. were all eagerly anticipating when this car got released. It's just sort of a hybrid morphed kind of thing. It's still fun to drive, but I guess more useful. But if that's the case, buy an SUV, buy a pickup truck, you know? But we all know that wagons are a hyper niche market in the U.S. anyway. So now you're talking about the extra niche version of a car that was already niche. Who who are you selling that? It's it's the BMW idea. 50 people will buy that. We should build one. So anyway, yeah. (laughs) We know 50 people will buy one. Yeah, I'm kind of mixed. I'm kind of digging it from the side profile here, but the rest of it... I'm saying no. This is a sports car, and let it be. Let it remain. Yeah. Just let it live. Update the headlights. It, update the clip. You know. The, give it more power. Hello. Give it more <clears> power. Sorry to be Captain Obvious over here, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what they should have done, not continue on other styling roads, because stop it. Just yeah. stop it. Yeah, kind of a bummer. I wish, uh, I wish they would kind of update your car with more power, because... Uh, Everybody who owns one, that's all they're trying to do is achieve that. That's what we're talking about. You're right. It's actually right. a question from people. They're asking if you're going to do anything you know, forced induction-wise. I think people are sort of wondering that as you own the car longer and longer and we drive it more and more. I think people are, yeah, I mean, people are curious. Yeah, you're right. We're, we're kind of teasing a Facebook question. We may as well just kind of cover it now. In fact, I don't know if you've got it in front of you who asked that. But the, the uh, short answer in. is... The short answer is we're going to try to do a video that actually does a kind of side-by-side comparison of here's the most common things you can do without forced induction, and then here's what forced induction does. We're actually going to get another Mm -hmm. FRS, kind of put that with mine. We're hoping to do the open flash tablet on top of the header and exhaust we've already done and kind of do the kind of most straightforward things most people do. Uh, naturally aspirated variation and then put that with forced induction and then have a conversation about do I want to go further. So we're hoping to put that together later this year. Uh, it's in the works. We think we found right. the other car, thanks to one of you, which we really appreciate. So we'll see if we can pull that off. That was uh, Lucas. Other people have asked, but here uh, for this mm-hmm. round of questions, that was Lucas C. Cerior, I believe is his name. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Anyway, Lucas, thanks for the question. And uh, yeah, keep them coming. We're just I'm scrolling through Facebook questions. Now. That's amazing. And I posted this pages up at 5 p.m. Yeah. on Monday before we podcast. I can't yeah, believe that. It's pages and pages, which is great. This is awesome. We Thank should you try guys. to cover uh, Brian writing in. And actually, I'm was reading back through his, his uh, email here, and he mentions that he does a lot of driving in Kentucky, uh, back, back hills of Kentucky. So I'm guessing you must live in Kentucky, but you have a Dodge Charger RT right now. So let's just go ahead and clarify 
large car <laughs> and you love it yeah, and you love yeah. it. And you've thought about, you know, doing a, okay, let's start down the road to modifying it. Let's go supercharger. Let's change the diff. Let's do a new rear end. I mean, all the stuff that you, I mean, it's a rabbit, it's a rabbit hole for any of these cars. So you're thinking about doing that and then you've gone, okay, all right, should I do that? And you're looking for up to 40K to work with, which is genuine, real money of options here to work with. So you're going, all right, I could do a coupe. I could do a sedan. You don't really need your back seats you discovered. You've used them once in owning the car. So you're kind of going, all right, guys, what should I get? 35 to 40 grand is options. And clearly, you like large muscle cars. So this is a fascinating discussion here. Yeah, have you noticed how many other kinds of similar cars he's driven in his quest mm -hmm. right now? Yeah, as you said, he's got the 2013 Dodge Charger, which we drove the blacktop edition, and we agree, mm -hmm. we liked that car. It it hustled, and that was not even the V8. It's cool. It wasn't the SRT. It wasn't the Hellcat. It yeah. moved. It, I mean, it was a comfortable, spacious car. I can see why you like that. But he has mm -hmm. driven the 2016-2017 Camaro SS, so the new brand new Camaro 6, sixth generation Camaro here. And he's yep. thinking, should I go SS? Should I stretch for the 1LE version when they do finally come out? Uh, what else has he driven? Challenger Scat Pack. Oh, no, he's, he's mm -hmm. not driven one, but he's investigating that. Intrigued by it, yeah. He's looked at the 2014 and newer CTS V Sport, so the Cadillac CTS V, mm -hmm. which is, that's got to be a consideration. We like those cars. And then a car that we've recommended many times and talked about, we drove it at the track, and that is the 2015 and newer Chevy SS with the MagnaRide, mm -hmm. with manual transmission. We've tracked that car and really enjoyed it. And uh, he's looking at all these very similar cars. I have to laugh. Um, <laughs> but he's kind of trying to dip a toe in the pool of British or European slash German cars and wondering about them. He's thinking about yeah, maybe kind of going about branching out. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. two cars, or he says his dream car is the F-body Firebird, the 2002 Trans Am WS6. So it's the F-body coupe. I'm curious as to why that's your dream car because I, you've driven the new SS, the new brand mm -hmm. new 2016 Camaro SS. I'm curious as to what you like about that car, Brian. But, well, yeah, uh, it does feel like it does feel like you're going back. I mean, look, you know. Cool engine, interesting cars, but I agree. I feel like we've definitely moved on. And so I would, yeah, if that's the consideration, I would say let's go new SS over that. But uh, who knows? It's one of those things where is there, is there a nostalgia involved? What's the thing that is, that is drawing Possibly. you back to that car? Uh, it's a fascinating little twist there, Brian. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually digging up a couple of things while we're talking. A couple of things are dawning on me. I'm trying to see what's still in the price range. But, but where did you wind up on this? Well, he's got 35 to 40, which instantly means I kind of blew that up and typed in. Of course you did. Hmm, of course you did. 45 will yeah. get you, Brian, because <laughs> the main thing that I got from your email here is that you're aiming for higher performance than you have now. Well, mm -hmm. in that category and slightly more, just with a little bit more money, you can taste dramatically more performance. And I mm -hmm. want to tell you the car that I think you should get, but I do want to mm -hmm. offer you some suggestions. I liked where you're going. I like what you're driving. You're suggesting that one LE or the SS, yes, all good. The problem is you've driven it, so anything that's not as new as this will now be compared to that car as a sure. benchmark. So, for mm -hmm. example, a 2008 Mustang, a Roush Mustang, that's about 40000 45000 that's not going to compare mm. to the brand new SS. It's the same money. But I guarantee you, you're going to like the newer car better. And so that's why I'm thinking 
hmm, maybe let's focus well, on newer even, cars for that reason. Yeah, he even says here he's kind of looking for you know latest in tech, and he's kind of looking to upgrade his world a little bit because his you know his his charger here is a 2013, so it's not like he's living in the dark ages of cars to begin with. You're <laughs> right. willing to go beyond that, so you know I, that's the thing. We got to go pretty new to get a you know to update you. It, it's hard to go backwards. I totally agree. I I think it's hard, and so that's why I asked why this uh, why the F body is so appealing to you and I think it's got to be something nostalgia or design or just you like those as a kid or something like that but once you drive all these other cars you're going to probably agree and say yeah I need to need to probably go newer and yeah more power better ride all that stuff and anything with mag magnetic ride of course so let's see one two three four five suggestions and then the car is number six the car i think you should buy you you did well i gotta be honest i'm a little <laughs> well, stumped beyond I, brian's actual list to come up with something that i don't feel like he's driven i mean you know i could run to a few things that are not even on his list at all like one of the ones that dawns on me is the e92 bmw because it's rear wheel drive it has a big v8 i mean it checks the boxes while being a very different animal however you're stepping into a European car at that point, you're concerned about maintenance, that may be a situation that you just end up not liking. I like the fact that it touches the muscle car boxes in some ways and gets you into a totally different driving experience. But in the kind of things you've said you already like, you're you're already kind of checking all the boxes. I mean, the only thing you really haven't brought up here is the Mustang. Now, you already brought it up, Paul, but you know the Mustang, you could get a, a new uh, Ford GT for this money. Yeah, um, right. I'd be right. if nothing else, I think you should drive the Ford GT since you've already benchmarked the SS, drive the Ford GT. I mean, obviously we just did our GT350 versus Boss review. We're a big fan of the GT350. That's way out of your price range. I get that. There's nothing wrong with the current GT. I don't like it as much, but if you're going to drive the new SS, you should drive the new GT just to know what that is. And both the SS and the GT, these are smaller cars in feel and and they're just dynamics than the Charger you've owned or the Scat Pack. I mean, those Dodges are kind of the last of the real muscle cars. These, uh, the, S, the Camaro SS and the Mustang have become more sports cars now. So you're yep. already shifting into a different kind of area of cars, which is why I wonder if that E92 kind of straddles the world. Anyway, keep going. That's exactly the car on, that I had on my list, although that's not the car I think you should buy. Maybe drive it. It is a suggestion, but what I found with the forty to forty-two thousand range is the E ninety, so the four-door sedan in the two thousand eight okay, sure. to twenty eleven. The newer M threes, the the E ninety series, you know, later than twenty eleven, are still more expensive, unfortunately. But you could get into a manual transmission with the V eight in the E ninety, that four-door sedan. I like them. I actually prefer the the proportions of the four-door. A little bit more. I, I like it better. I guess I just like the four-door look. And mm -hmm. they're a little bit less money, and they're a little bit more prevalent. You can kind of find them for that 40, 42 range and manual transmission. Yeah. So there's maybe, specific guys buying it. But, here, but here's the other thing. He also says he also says he has no issue with getting an auto. He's fine with getting an auto. He likes True. the eight-speed auto in the yeah. SS, Camaro SS. So I say if you're going to go auto, Look, we haven't driven the new Camaro SS with that 8-speed. I have genuinely only heard good things about it. But the DCT in the BMWs is fantastic. So, again, you're, eight, you're a V8. True, you've, got a, you've got an automatic. If you want to stay automatic, that's going to be a great car for that as well. I will acknowledge this is out of the train of thought of where you are, which is why I like it. 
but it might not be a match because if you wind up German, hey, I'm maintaining an M3. That might be scary. Yeah, I could. Uh, yeah, possibly. All right, uh, Brian. So I bumped it up. I admit, 45k. I admit, just yeah, just roll with it. Just for these suggestions, and then I'll get to something for you. <clears throat> First of all, 2013 Corvette Grand Sport. Those are 45k. The what else? The 2015 Lexus RC350. So it's not the F Sport. Mm. Mm. It's. You know, we like the dynamics of the car, and it might appeal to you. It's a little bit smaller than what you're used to, a little bit more nimble. Those are $45,000, right? Okay. Just slightly used. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> I, I, I have to stop you. The, the Grand Sport actually is a fantastic idea. I think that is inspired. The C6 Grand Sport is actually a great car. That is an inspired choice, especially if you don't need back seats. Prices have it dropped. It has, surprise, has surprising amounts of room. That is a, that, honestly, that's a great recommendation. I do like that quite a bit. What oh. a different experience for Brian. I do then have to say, though, the Lexus, here's the thing. <laughs> All right, so you I, like the Grand Sport okay. and you don't like the Lexus. I can see it coming. Well, but 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 here but here's the thing. Just just let just imagine with me, listener, and and you as well, Paul. Imagine <laughs> with me the guy that trades in his Dodge Charger to buy a Lexus in Kentucky. <laughs> Does that happen? Is the world going to fold in on itself if that occurs? Brian, honestly, if you do that, I will fly to where you are and shake your hand because that will be that will be unprecedented in the world of cars. I'm just saying. That's funny. Okay, I didn't really see that coming. I didn't really think that through. But, you know, surely there's people in Lexington or somewhere that drive Lexi. Lexington? No, it's, Lexus? it's not. A, I'm Come not on. saying that people in Kentucky don't drive Lexus. I'm saying a guy who wants a muscle car and currently drives a Dodge Charger, drives into the Lexus dealership, leaves his Charger, and drives out in a Lexus. I just don't see that through line. That's my point. I'm not saying Kentucky doesn't drive the Lexus. I'm just saying I don't see how those worlds connect. Oh, I Maybe see. I'm wrong. Well, I'll, then I'll, I'll two-step and dance around that and say drive one for the experience. And just so you know what other cars in this price category will feel like. That it's a bit more luxury. It will help you. I, I threw that in there because I had to have, you know, the, the Japanese choice, sort of the, you know, Asian continent choice in there that's in that price range, kind of, that he could consider. He might like it. Who knows? He's going to write back and say, hey, guys, I bought a Lexus, and you'd follow her. No, you'd be stepping on an airplane. That's what you'd be doing. I'd be stepping on an airplane to go shake anyway. Brian's hand. That's exactly what I'd be doing. <laughs> I'd have to take a camera. It'd be a quite expensive trip for, for just a handshake. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Right. All right, so a couple of German choices. Uh, a bit newer is that M235i, the BMW that we like so much. Hmm. If you know, but then I thought, well, if you're gonna go BMW, just go get an M3. But it is in that price range. It's smaller, more nimble car. It's not the power kind of thing that you're talking about. I think that's that's another that's another major shift in it just scale you know what i mean it's scale it's, wise yeah definitely stepping down in that world I mean, not, I, hey we like that car i'm not going to deny that reality keep going uh what else we've got uh 2014 audi s5 that is the supercharged engine and uh yeah, uh, 2014. So, so that's, that got that, that's got that German. That's kind of got that German muscle car feel as well. That S5 with that V8. That's you're right. That would work. Kind of does. I, I Although can see that this one was the turboed six. Oh, I okay, think it, sure, that sure, sure. Point the newer one. Yep. Six. Yep. 
But fortunately, to, to your point, we can throw all those to the wind and <clears throat> land on what I think is your choice. And Uh-oh. it's in line with your email here, Brian. It's in line with the things that you're looking for. And again, I'm looking back at power. I'm looking at the fact that you've driven this new Camaro and you like all the modern amenities. And I'm especially looking at the magnetic ride because of the, the ride and handling and the okay. dual you're personality your that shot. it can do. You're calling your shot. Go for it. I think I am. And this is the 2012 to 2014 Camaro ZL1. We've driven this car on the track. Mm. We, it's an mm. impressive car. You get gobs of horsepower. It's essentially a detuned ZR1 engine in it with the supercharged mm-hmm. V8. It's got the magnetic ride. And the best part is it's already taken that depreciation hit. And so it falls. Yes, it's 45. I admit it is. I don't think you can get one for 40. It's 45,000. However, I think it really, it's a big step in power. It's, it's still got those modern things that you will like, that you said in your email that you like about you know driving the brand new Camaro and mm-hmm. Magnetic Ride. I just keep coming back to that for you. Um, yeah, and it's a newer car. So yeah, ZL1, the ZL, that's kind of where I'm going. You know what? I, I, I don't know why I didn't go there because you're right. The ZL1 is a Camaro that, shocked us on the track and it's yeah you're gonna have to deal with the bunker styling but you wouldn't the new one too and you'd get a lot of car for your money there that is the thing about that choice if you go with that that prior generation zl1 it is a ton of car for the money that honestly well done sir well done oh well thank you thank you i'm i'm not uh, i did not do that well tonight because i felt like he had done a lot of the choices but i i think he landed on something there well done brian thank you i I hope something in there is helpful and again (laughs) if you buy a lexus apparently i'm flying to kentucky so uh yeah (laughs) yeah it was just more of a you know here's a a range of choices i like to give people a range of choices you know just you're broadening his horizons i get it yep oh yeah and he's gonna run away from lexus probably which is fine (laughs) It's a good car. It would I run like it. though. It hey, it'd run. It'd it'd <laughs> keep running. Shall we do some Facebook questions? Maybe. I think we should. I you identified a few out of this gigantic list of thirteen, fourteen questions. This is again, this is awesome, guys. Thank you for writing in the questions. I, I like what it's doing to because these are sort of quick, quick hits. We've got to think, you know, real quick. You know, we're not researching oh, yeah, yeah. It's, prior to the podcast like we are for car debates. We're actually just quick. What's the answer? Go. Yep. You bring out a you bring out a good point, and that is uh, for those of you that would like us to uh, to never be wrong. <clears throat> this is where you turn off the podcast because the thing about the Facebook questions is we are shooting from right. the hip. So if you were sitting with uh, with your Google checker in front of you, there will be days where wow, we got that wrong. But the fun thing about this is it broadens what we end up talking about on the podcast. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, Robert Hopkins asked an interesting question. He's talking about all of the various nannies that are in all the cars that we drive now. You know, we've got stability control, trash control, tire pressure monitoring system, automatic braking. You know, we drove the Tesla Model X with its uh, autopilot. I mean, we're getting more and more and more of them. And his question is, obviously, as car enthusiasts, we'd kind of like to be more in control. We don't like the nannies. But having said that, which one do we think is the most beneficial in just sheer safety? What is the one that we actually think that is a cool one? Which Mm. I, I had to think about this for a bit. Hmm. Did you come up with something? Curious. I think where I've landed is automatic braking as my favorite. Really? I, uh, and here's why I say that. Here's why I say that. I, I, I don't want it. 
personally for any of the driving that I do. But when automatic braking's great is actually that thing that we all do. You, you reach down to, to change the, the stereo or your, your phone beeps and you, and you go, wait, I can't look at that now. And you throw it in the other seat or whatever it is. And then the thousands of people, I see it all the time. Well, I, sorry, I have to tell a horror story. I have to tell a horror, horror story right now. All right, all right. Paul and I were driving in Salt Lake not that long ago. Oh yeah. We oh, were man. driving behind a woman. What was she driving? Do you remember? Was it an old? Wasn't it an old Jag? Am it I was a right? silver Jag. Uh, yeah. I think from early two thousand somewhere in there. We followed her for about a half a dozen blocks, and I'm not exaggerating yeah. when I say this. In a half a dozen blocks, she drifted into oncoming traffic on four separate occasions. And it was obvious to us at the first stop that we sat behind her. This was just a residential street. She was texting and driving. It was horrifying. It was, yeah. it was one of the most chilling things I've ever been in a car for. And I say that not because it was high speed, but because we were almost holding our breath expecting to see a head-on collision. One woman, she missed by maybe a half inch. The other woman didn't even notice because that woman was also on her phone. The reason I say automatic braking is because... The people that are looking at their phone or aren't really looking up like they should be or aren't really paying attention, what's the thing they're not going to do right? They're not going to break when they should. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I remember that vividly. It actually wasn't that long ago. And, uh, yeah, I was pretty freaked out just watching her. I mean, we, we had half a mind to, to you know, follow her and, and – you know, but then what do you do? It, it devolves from yeah. there, right? You know, there's there's just no point. But you want to tell somebody, here's what we're seeing. You're not seeing mm -hmm. it. How can you? Yeah. How yeah. can you endanger it, it other was, people like it that? It was horrifying. But I thought about you know, if, thinking of that woman, if she'd been looking down at her phone when somebody had come to a stop in front of her. I mean, the the fading out of her lane was was literally chilling. It was bone chilling. But but if if she had had somebody stop short in front of her, she wouldn't have caught that, and it would no. have been a rear end. No. And the the automatic braking does have the capability of stopping that reality. The, the bad part about all these nannies is, and, and it's where the autopilot's going, the more and more we rely on the car to do it all, the less and less we're going to be prepared when the car gives up in an emergency situation and goes, grab the wheel. We're going to be like, why? What's going on? What's happening? Right, and then right. something terrible's happened. But the automatic braking in that regard, because of the way most people use cars, I think is probably helpful. Interesting. I, uh, I agree. I can see that. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking more about traction control for cars. And mm -hmm. I think that, uh, I think that enthusiasts like us, like you listening, automatically dive for that button to turn everything off thinking this, this is how I always want the car to drive. Yeah. Yes and no. I like the mm -hmm. fact that it, it's on when I'm just cruising and I don't want to have to worry about, you know, because it does make a car, it transforms a car so dramatically and primarily cars with high horsepower, rear wheel drive, that kind of thing. But it is such a massive transform transformation in the car's personality. So the good thing is we can turn it off. For mm -hmm. most cars, for the most part, it's completely off. There are a few that it's sort of just a very loose safety net. The holes in the net have just gotten really large, but the net's still kind of there. Mm -hmm. But for the cars that you can truly turn it off, it's great because then it really demands more of you as a driver and then you understand car control better. But then when you really are just cruising, maybe it's a, a slick road, rainy night, it is a good thing to have there. You Maybe you don't want to be thinking that way. You're, we're not you know, racing when it's a cold, rainy, snowy night. 
and you're just wanting to drive your car, and it's a good thing yeah. to have there. But it's also a good thing to completely go away when you want to drive, and then it demands more of you as a driver. So I, I like bring, the, the dichotomy yeah. there. I like having You bring both. up an interesting. You bring up an interesting point. You make me think of the cars that we've driven that have got uh, three or four layers of it. I actually kind of like that because, right, right. you know, the, the thing that we all do, and I say this because Paul and I are guilty and most car journalists are guilty, but I think most enthusiasts are guilty. We think, oh, I got this. Oh, I, I got this. I got this. Right. I'm going to get in this car. I'm going to turn the hash control off. I'm going to drive it hard. I'll be honest with you. The really heavy-duty stuff we get in, I like working my way up through the traction control settings just yeah. to see, A, how aggressive is the traction control, and B, how much is the car going to be more powerful than I expect initially? And the computers go, I know this car better than you, let me tell you. And then work my way to more and more until it's all the way off. I actually think, especially when we're getting up to these cars you and I are driving where it's like five, six, seven hundred horsepower right, in a car that right. weighs 3,000 pounds, jumping directly to traction control fully off, there's a part of me that just goes, I need to be smarter than that. Okay, I'm going to sure, get there, right. but initially I need to understand, okay, how aggressive is the trash control and how scared, scared of the back wheels is the trash control system? You know what I mean? It becomes kind of informative of this car is that bad off, really? You know, you're cutting in that early? Or you, that, that, and it's, right, I, right. I feel like that colors the review. And I like the ones that have got, you know, like you're saying, it's, I'm hanging out, I don't care, all the way to track fully off mode with a couple of layers in the middle can be helpful. They can. And you and I have even been in conversations with instructors at track days who will say, you know what, I even like the lightest setting of traction control still being on. Completely off, He's, you know, some instructors will say, well, this car is just nearly uncontrollable and your lap times actually increase. And so if you have even the, you know, just the last layer still on, it's actually mm -hmm. assisting you in a way where you're actually faster and it's a, it can be a good thing. So I, I yeah. like, again, the di dichotomy. We don't need to just sit there and do burnouts, even though I like to do that to rental cars, I admit. But But it's not a universal bane of our existence. That's the thing. Right. The problem, where it really right. becomes an issue is this cannot be turned off. That is a problem. But, mm -hmm. but short right. of that, I think there, I mean, these are, in many ways, helpful technologies. However, let's be honest, they're put on for the lowest common denominator. They're not put on for the people that are driving right. and paying attention. That's so, a great yeah, point. Anyway. Wow. All right. Uh, scrolling through the list here. Gosh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, there was one that caught my eye down here. Uh, what else? What else? While you're looking, I've got one from Andre uh, Levin. He wrote it and said, here's a random one. What about driving shoes? And I have a story to go with that one. Oh, good, good one. You remember yeah. the story that I had? I, I went shopping for, and I'll tell you what I, what I wear. I actually really like Puma as a brand for driving shoes. And there are multiple slight variations to the, the cut and design of their shoes that are good for, for driving. And so you got to find the one that works for your foot. And one of the problem is, side note, one of the problems is, this is a first world problem, uh, a lot of times if you order online, which is the only way to get selection, the sizing of a Puma shoe between one design and another don't match. So I've had some ones where I'm like, well, that would have worked in the other design. Anyway, so Pumas, I like those. However, I went into one of those kind of we cover everything sporting goods stores here in Salt Lake yeah. a year or two ago. Yeah. And they have like wall of shoes. You know, it's like a block long side oh, yeah. of the store. And all yeah, it is yeah, is yeah. shoes. And you're walking along. It's like, you know, shoes for running, shoes for running in the rain, shoes for trail running. I mean, it's like every little micro variation they have it. So what do I start doing? I start looking for, well, do they have any driving shoes? 
And I'm not seeing any, obviously, and I'm looking around, you know. So I walk over to one of the, <laughs> one of the girls that's working there. I don't know if I've told you this, Paul. And I said to her, do you have any driving shoes? And it was like a two or three second beat while she's thinking this through. And then I could like see the gears engage and her, her eyes lit up and she goes, oh, oh, you mean for golf? Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. And, 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 and no, at which point I waited. Story. This is funny. At which point I waited two or three beats and I went, no, I don't mean for golf. I mean for like <laughs> driving a car. She went, oh, yeah, we don't have those. So for, I will forever, when anybody says driving shoes the rest of my life, I will instantly hear this poor girl in my head going, oh, you mean for golf? No, that's no, dear. That's funny. I, I really don't. That's funny. I, yeah, that's a great question, actually. And, you know, we think that always just run to the, the very narrow-soled shoes, you know, obviously depends on your foot, but, uh, you know, for, for driving fast, driving hard. The problem is not every car is built with the pedals super close for the ideal heel towing kind of situation because that's a good point. People have big feet and they have to build them unless it's a race car, a Formula One, Indy or something specific that is, you know, kind of a race car. I have found that not all the pedals are ideal. And so when I do wear those narrow driving shoes, they're actually too narrow and I can't catch the edge of the throttle where I want to. And then I've switched to running shoes that are, I like Nikes personally, they're still kind of a narrow shoe, but you know, that, that lip, that edge of the sole there that kind of sticks out with a little bit of tread, that's actually what's catching the edge of the, the throttle pedal, the accelerator. Yeah, I can see that. And it kind of helps. Sometimes it's, it's helpful. It's, yeah. it's just a little bit of a lip there and it's, it's a little bit more helpful. So I kind of wear, I guess they're running shoes or cross training shoes. No, not cross training. Those are big and clunky. You, Just uh, running you shoes, have, I guess. Yeah, you you have a lot of shoes, and and yeah, you have a lot of a lot of shoes. Yeah, um, got uh, got one or two pairs. You have a tendency to coordinate your shoes with your watch. I don't wear a watch, <laughs> and I have terrible taste in clothing, so I don't have that problem. But yeah. <laughs> oh man, but I like the Pumas too, and I hear Pelotis coming back. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened with those. Anybody hear what's going on with Peloti? They went away, they went bankrupt, or they went out of business, or something, and. I yeah. felt like they needed to change their design. They were a little bit on the clunky side, but all right, yeah. Um, and I mean, you can get nutty. You can get into the, I bought Alpine Stars, but are you actually race driving? I mean, you know, you can get all into the specially made. I, I want to wear a shoe I can wear all the time, and then also as a good driving shoe, and that's why I go with the Pumas, but I don't know that there's a right answer. It also comes down to foot shape and that kind of madness. But I did want to touch on that briefly. I've got two others. What else have you got? Uh, Mario writes in. Mario Suera, I think, is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, he is actually asking if it's okay to take your car on a track day. He's asking about Streets of Willow, but he's asking if you're still paying your car off, whether you're financing or leasing, is this okay? And he's also asking about, should you look into track insurance for the day? I think, uh, I think you should check with your insurance agent to ask if your current insurance policy covers track time. Because generally speaking, it doesn't. And once the, the problem is, once you ask that question, then you've raised yeah. this whole other... I, I, I don't think you should ask. I don't think you should ask. Let's, let's say this. I would assume your current insurance does not cover your track day. Right. And it may have a specific clause. And there have been, granted, it's the internet, there are horror stories for everything, but there have been issues where people that have 
no wrecks, no problems have been dropped because of things like autocross. I mean, I've heard weird stories yeah. about this. Yeah. I would say do not raise your hand here and say I'm about to track my car. If you're worried, get the extra track day insurance from a third party so yep. that you're covered. Yep. But I, I, I personally would not say raise your hand and ask them because that yeah, I think will go good places. I kind of agree. I, I just asking your insurance agent is going to raise a whole bunch of other questions that you're not going to really want to ask. You're not going to want to go down that road. So mm -hmm. just assume that your street insurance policy doesn't cover track days and go get yourself an extra track insurance policy if you're concerned. That mm -hmm. also doesn't have anything to do with whether you're financing or leasing or if you own the car outright. I really yeah. don't think that that matters too much. No, that's irrelevant. I, I mean, you, you can I mean, insure you can, the car. You can be paying off your car and do theoretically anything you want with it. The problem is if you wreck it, now who's paying for it? That's really what we're talking right. about. And they're going to want so to know the go, situation. How was it wrecked? You want to go oh, track it. You want to go track it? Great. You want to go track it? Great. But if you want to defend yeah. yourself insurance-wise, you're probably going to need to get a third-party insurance. Yeah, I would be very frightened of you, depending upon your insurance carrier, but I just I don't think you set up good things. But I'm going to go track my car. Is that cool? Because it's probably not cool, and now they're going to be looking at you going, what else does this guy do? That's my instinct. You know, interestingly, when the Evo 10 was released into the market and the prior generation STI, I had heard stories about Mitsubishi and Subaru actually using they were going to tracks and asking for the you know the list of who's racing what because people were bringing cars back into the dealership under warranty and saying oh i've got a blown turbo or a broken half shaft or oh, sure something major and they're going how is this possible with normal street driving and they were mm. asking scca and nasa for the list of who raced at this track you know their car and who was it and they would try to chase people down because that hmm. part of, you know, that wasn't covered under warranty. Now, more and more cars like the Focus RS are actually <laughs> set up for that. Uh, I think yeah, even they know the ST, you're going to. Yeah. they don't care. They know the car's going to be tracked. It's under warranty. But they're built in such a way that, you know, they're, they're probably going to take a lot of abuse before they do break. You blow a turbo, something like that. But that was, I think, on the early stages of those performance cars – and they didn't really consider people would be bringing in this warranty claim after tracking the car and going, well, wait, you, you took your car to the track. You broke your car yeah. doing something we're not covering, you know, so. Or we don't obviously. want to. I mean, it's like the 09, the 09 GTR issue where anybody that used their launch control voided their warranty. Oh, and then they right. were blowing their transmissions out of the bottom of the car. And you, well, But you put launch control in the car. Why am I, you know, yeah, you put exactly. it there. It's there. Exactly. The huge, huge issues followed. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, yeah. So obviously nothing really to do with insurance, but it just kind of made me think of that story when, you know, you don't want your insurance agent to track you down and then start watching you and watching where your car goes. And here's a locator. Why don't you install this in your car so we can find out where it's been? <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't do that. Anyway, um, yeah, buy, buy third-party insurance and that'll cover you, so. Well, I've got, uh, let's see, I actually have a couple others, but did you have any that you saw? Oh, man, scrolling through. <laughs> Daniel is asking for our all-time top 10 list of cars that we would love to launch out of a cannon or give a Viking burial, send flaming off a cliff. Well, you're, you're Mr. That's Viking a, Burial. You should write up an article on that. I'd love to see your list of that. That should that takes That's going to take a little more thought that's take some time. than we have time here. Top yeah. 10, wow, that's going to take me some time to put together. But I know I can do this. I feel up to that task, and I would love to describe <laughs> 
<laughs> in detail, in minutia, why I would love to send these cars to their grave, but the first six are going to be Toyota Corollas, so hopefully that helps you out. Maybe we should right. come back there. next time for more on Viking funerals <laughs> for cars. Uh, all right, so what did you see that uh, that caught your eye there? Well, Casey Cook asked about uh, cars out of the 90s. He said, what, uh, what are our favorites, the late 90s Supra, the NSX, or the late 90s GTR, and why? Mm. And then along those lines, should Toyota bring back the Supra? I think Toyota needs a car above the GT86. I think they do. I, I, you know, I will be honest, it's still going to be a niche car. The GT86 is, it would be a niche car. But I think Toyota should have something in that world. I don't think they should bring back the Supra and have it be an NSX competitor and it's a $150,000 Toyota sports car. I think that's irrelevant. I'm talking a fifty dollars to $60,000 at the most rear-wheel drive Toyota sports car would be really cool. Back to the 90s, I'll be candid. I, I haven't driven the GTRs from the 90s, so I can't speak to that. But I personally have a soft spot for the 90s NSX. Mm, Mid-engine, yeah, reliable. They're not that powerful. But it's one of those cars that you drive, and it just feels special. So I've got a real thing for that NSX. Yeah. Uh, Toyota actually did bring a concept back. Uh, is it the FS1? Uh, yeah, but I feel like they keep they keep saying every three or four years, we're going to bring back the Super. Just do it. Stop it with the concepts. Do it. Forty to fifty grand would be ideal. I think it'd probably just in reality be fifty to sixty, but... You know, I mean, and and while while they're at it, Honda S two thousand. Hello. Anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, I just love to see that category of Japanese sports car again. I don't know that that's going to happen, but it'd be cool. That was yeah. the greatest thing about the nineties is that everybody had a huge, really impressive player in that world. Well, yeah, I, I hear it is the Toyota FT one concept car that was a few years back. I think it's gorgeous. Yeah, put a turboed something under the hood. It doesn't have to be an $80,000 car. As you said, it can be 50, 60. And it should be. It should be. It, it, real they should driver's aim for car. Those. I mean, I miss the glory days kind of of Japanese sports cars. The sports cars used to be defined by the Japanese, I feel like, in, in, that, in the 90s. I mean, everybody mm -hmm. had one. Nissan still has their 370Z, you know, what's going to be the next Z car. Mm -hmm. But how about something to compete with that? Honda, where are you? Come on, bring something back that is, yeah, yeah it's, it's not your car. It's a little bit more expensive, but you're getting more. It's a lot more power, still bang for the buck. It's sort of like Toyota, make a Corvette equivalent. Bring the Super back. Yes, I would love to drive that car. And, you know, I, I, think, I think everybody, car manufacturers these days, are running towards the bread and butter volume sales of economy of cars and now just doing to, yeah. endless research on electrics and what are our future what is our future in electrics doing because tesla's eaten everybody's lunch at least conceptually <laughs> right now yeah, yeah yeah they're not actually delivering yet but certainly conceptually and i think the japanese are running home to that going oh what is our technology going to be and they're forgetting about all of us the enthusiasts who love them and wish they would bring that back to us because they clearly have the ability. They've got the mm -hmm. engines. They've mm -hmm. got the tech. Pull something out of a Lexus. Bring it with this gorgeous FT1 concept styling. Sell it to us for fifty grand, and that would be hot. I mean, it would be. It would, that be. would be. That would be fun. So, yeah, excellent question. I mean, I, I like the NSX too. That was. That was a fun car to drive, but uh, it just feels like the glory days and nothing after that. And the new NSX mm -hmm. is out of everybody's reach. 
price-wise. Yeah, they've, they've gone to a totally different place. And the new NSX is playing in a pool that has lots of competition. One of the great things about it when it originally dropped is it was kind of, here was, a, here was a, an exotic car for real person prices almost, and there was really nothing directly competing with it. At 150 mm-hmm. grand, you have options. You have tons of options now. If you have 150 grand to spend on a car, first off, that is out of the reach of most people's reality. And then the people that can buy that are looking around because you've got tons of options. I think that's a tough world for the new one to be in. And I do think a really great Japanese sports car in the forty to $60,000 range, you're in the Mustangs, the Camaros, the Corvettes. You're in interesting territory for one of those cars to compete. I think it'd be awesome. But, mm-hmm. yeah, we're dreaming. Yeah, we are. All right, uh, super quick question from Jason Cornell. Simple question. What's your favorite decade for cars? Simple question, but it's actually not quite a simple answer. I uh, I love cars. I love cars from every decade. <laughs> I guess I could give you every decade and a reason that I love that decade, whether it be styling, you know, go, going back to the 20s and 30s, rolling sculpture, all the way to now. I think for me, it's going to always lean towards the latest technology and... You're very much that guy. Yeah. What cars have done, uh, you know, all the generations up to now and what they've done for the latest model, I've got to say the current decade that we're in, and it's probably going to change to the next decade once we hit that. You're very much that guy. I I am tech. I'm just, I like what tech does. I like the, what styling is doing. I'm all about manufacturing processes and tech and just, you know, I, I like cars for all the technology that's in them. I really do. And look, I appreciate the way older cars drive and acknowledge that. And the what we enjoy now, I mean, people keep saying, man, isn't it a great time to be a car guy? Isn't it a great time to be alive and be into yeah. cars and be experiencing yeah, what we are now? Yes. And to get where we are now, obviously we had to you know, we had to go through the 80s. We had to go through the mm-hmm. 70s. The 70s had to exist <laughs> with all those cars. You, well, you and I were just talking about this tonight for <laughs> we, a different we reason. <laughs> I, you know, I have to say that, that listing a best decade for me is really hard because like you, I have a lot of things that I would say. And so I find this question sure. really difficult. However, sure. I would say there's a decade that I could wipe off the map and not miss. And that is <laughs> from 69 or actually starting technically 1970, but from 70 to 89. I, that's, I mean, it's actually two decades. I don't care. I, I, I just don't Although, care. You know, those mid eighties Porsche nine elevens. I mean the, the classic, I love that. I know you're right. Carrera. You're right. It's in there, but I just, I, yeah, I, I, that's the thing. I'd have to find something in that 20 year gap that I really go, you know, that's an exception, but that's the thing. It's the random exception that almost proves the rule of the fact that that whole 20 year span. I just don't care. Mm-hmm. However, if mm-hmm. I'm going to think about this, there's a part of me that wants to say it's, it's kind of an odd way to list the decade, but I would say 95 to 2005. Okay. Because right. yeah. in that span, you have everything from the closeout of the Supra and the RSX7 and the uh, the 300ZX, that's the closeout, like the, the super final versions of those cars starts that decade. And then in that decade, you introduce the Lotus Elise, and you even go as far as the Saab 92X. These are all cars I love. Mm. They all fit in that decade. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. The decade doesn't have to be, you know, at the, uh, you know, say 2000 to, to 2010. It doesn't have to be looked at like that. It can be 
It can be anything. That's that's. And I find cool. there are there are cars in that span that I just generally bump into are like, oh, hey, yeah, what about that car? Hey, what about that car? That I just think kind of personally, I'm like, oh, that's that's intriguing. I mean, the E46 M3 is in that swath too. I mean, there are great cars in that. Very decade. true. Very true. The early 2000s E46. That's when that came out. Huh. And styling for BMWs was certainly just classic then. It was so well done. Oh, BMW was killing it. They were killing it then. Before they, what, 04, 05, when the new 5 Series came out. And if, and the, and if you want to talk 911, that's the end of the air-cooled era. So it's like the last of the 993s, which were the business. And then the true. very beginning of the 997. The 996 is in the middle there, I realize. But, but in that span is both of those kind of touch points for the 911 era. You get the greatest 993 that's out there or the breath of fresh air that is the 997 still falls in that range. Hmm, good one. Yeah, good one. I like that. Ah, I'm still all about the tech, but I, I like that. Shocking. Yeah, nobody's, nobody's surprised, least of all me. I have one last one from Anthony. I don't know if you have any others, but I have one last one from Anthony that I'm still thinking about and ask me in 10 more years when my son is actually driving. But Anthony's question was, he said, what car will you get your kids when they're old enough to drive? Now, my, my son is 10 years away. Um, I can't believe I, that. I live, that's, isn't it crazy? You put it like I, that, that's crazy to think about. It is. I, yeah, I live on a street that is, part, part of the street I live on is pretty much myself and my three or four neighbors, the only ones that go down the street. So uh, my son is now in the habit. It is crazy. It's a habit. When we go from the mailboxes, it sounds like I live in the middle of nowhere, and I kind of do. When, when you kinda go from the do. mailboxes to our house, my son's like, hey, can I drive? And he'll get on my lap. He's all of, you know, almost seven, and he'll steer, and I'll do everything else. And, and, you know, I mean, I grew up that way. I feel like a lot of us did. We're so hypersensitive about safety now that we never think of that, but we're, in the, we're on a street in the middle of nowhere. So he's doing that already. So I'm intrigued by that. He loves it. But honestly, when I think about brand-new drivers— the, the parental kind of gut reaction response is, what's the biggest car with the most airbags that I can get my child? Right, right. I, I understand that. I see as a parent how you get there. As a car guy parent, though, what strikes me is I want to get my son a car that he can learn from. And I don't mean it's a scary car. I mean it's a car that when he does something, the car responds. He can learn from it. And I don't want it to be hyper-powerful. And the first place I land is a Miata. Hmm. Hmm. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I mean, or even, or even my current car, the FRS, w would work in that same category. Because we're talking say, about cars does, that does, uh, he get the FRS. You just hang on to it and keep adding, and then uh, exactly hang on to it. We're for saving this for you. <laughs> Craziness, but but no, but I mean, think about both of those cars. Both of those cars. What they do is they don't have enough power to get you in trouble because of your right foot. They just don't. I mean, does that mean my son couldn't go 100 miles an hour at 16? Of course he could, and he shouldn't. But you can't put your foot down at a stop sign and get yourself in trouble in an FRS or a Miata. It's not going to happen. But yet, if you're driving stick shift in that car, the way that it steers, the way that it interacts with the clutch and the stick, you're going to learn about dynamics on a car. You're going to learn about balance, and it's going to make you a better, more attentive driver when you get into the tank later that you can't feel anything in. And I feel like that's the counterpoint. You put a child in a car... A child driver in a car that is so festooned with airbags and safety, they're so shielded from the actual driving experience that I think it, it's, it's like the fact that when you ride on an airliner, you don't realize you're going 500 miles an hour. Right, right. But if it's you hit a mountain, you do, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, seriously. So, but, but I think about that. I think about that with driving. 
If you're going 80 miles an hour as a 16-year-old and you don't feel like you're going 80 miles an hour, you wouldn't a Miata. How much, sure. how much sure. more problematic is that? that? That's what strikes me. I, I want to I put my son in something that he can tell what he's doing and it will involve him. And I even knew a parent once. I'm ranting now. I even knew a parent once who only put their kids. They had multiple kids. They only put them in manual transmissions because they wanted their hands to be busy. Mm-hmm. They they didn't want them to be picking up their phone or talking to their friend. They wanted their hands to be coffee cup. They wanted them to be driving. So they only gave their kids manuals, which is interesting. You've hit on that for me, Anthony. No kids yet for me, but uh, should that happen, it's got to be something with a manual transmission. And I don't mean just a beater, you know, three on the tree and it's here's an old beater pickup truck kind of thing. I want you to be engaged in the driving experience. And to do that, you've got to be very driver involved. I, I want you to be working the driving and feeling the wheel and feeling what a transmission does and being able to downshift and match revs and all of that stuff. And I would say along with that, it's going to be a driving school that is past regular driver's ed. Oh, I don't agreed. know if yeah. that would be me necessarily because kids don't want to listen to your parents. They want to, they they will take instruction from another adult who is knowledgeable and they respect, but you know yeah. we've all done that. Like ah, oh, my parents, what do they know? And then later in life, you find out oh, they they actually kind of did. But, Knew a couple of things. Um, I, I would say driving instruction, performance driving instruction, gradually as they become better and better drivers, but definitely driving instruction past Agreed. regular driver's ed. Oh, totally and agree. Totally awareness agree. of your surroundings. And to do that, you're engaged with the car. You are part of the car. You're feeling mm-hmm. that transmission. You're feeling the mechanical linkages. A Miata is a perfect car for that. So I, I like that. But anything, you know, whether it's a golf or a something, it's got to be you're engaged. You're feeling, you know, ooh, what, yeah. what does a second gear start like? How do I feather the clutch? Something that doesn't have hill hold assist that I have to actually use a, a parking brake with my right hand and then sure. feather yeah. the clutch and let it out and learn to feel the car and what is it what is it like in, a, in weather, in dry, all those kinds of situations. So that, that's, uh, that would be my consideration um, for that. We would love to keep going. We're nearing, I can't believe it, we're almost nearing the top of the hour already here. This we're is hitting an amazing. hour, we are, yeah. That went quick. I just looked at yep. the clock here. Well, that went fast. Thank you, thank you guys for your Facebook questions. Thanks for engaging in this podcast and helping us by rating it. We do really appreciate that. Please keep watching and sharing our videos. That uh, Mustang video has gone all over the place. Thank you to our yeah, friends at Road and cool. Track and all of you that have shared it. That's great. We are doing videos as fast as we can. Hopefully that's just about every Thursday. It is almost every Thursday at the moment, which is great. We've got that going for a long time. We've driven some crazy things too, so that's pretty fun. Uh, we have a Mustang track day coming up. Apparently, May is about Mustangs for us. We're going to share that kind of like we did the ST Octane thing last year. Um, lots of cool stuff in the pipeline. So thank you guys for sticking with us. Yeah, thank you guys. This is uh, a lot of fun. Keep your questions for the car debates rolling in at TV at Gmail. And we're loving the Facebook. So watch for that on Mondays and Thursdays as we post that up as podcasts on Tuesdays and Fridays. So Watch our Facebook postings for that. Keep the questions coming. And uh, the day that you are listening to this is the day you get to see my new car on Facebook. So look forward to Again, I'm just thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. This is, I'm <laughs> so excited. I was jumping up and be. down. I was jumping up and down. I cannot... Of course, as soon as I turned the camera off, you jumped up and down. <laughs> yeah, but know, it did happen. I, I swear it happened. <laughs> I am... I'm amazed. I'm shocked. It doesn't feel like mine. It really doesn't. I, it's going to take a while 
we we've got to bond and build a relationship first. But that'll come, I guess. Easy there, so. easy. <laughs> In the meantime, thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. 